Well, greetings, everyone, and welcome to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grodi, your host uh, with Ken Hensley today. We're continuing our study of the book of James. And and actually, uh, I, I guess uh, this is kind of a special edition because it, I guess we're saying we're going to close our study of the book of James. We're going to talk about that in a moment. But first of all, Ken, just want to make sure you're out there in California and doing okay. I have been hiding out in my house, Marcus, and very thankful that I work from home. So yeah, I, I, feel, I feel great. In fact, I found out yesterday that there's not one case in this in the town that I live in, Fillmore. Okay. So well, I feel pretty good. Well, in our little county of Muskingum County in Ohio, I think there's three or four, but that's it. Mm -hmm. That's the entire county. So mm -hmm. I guess that's when you're in Southeastern Ohio, you maybe isolated from all the big pockets of population. But it's good to hear you're doing well. And uh, this, it's neat to get you back on here, Ken, because for two reasons, I wanted to make sure we could pick up again with this whole coronavirus crisis. It's put the Coming Home Network a little bit back a bit. Uh, we're not coming together into the studio mm -hmm. as much. And so uh, we've been trying to practice the, uh, the rules that have been set for us, and uh, I, I, you know, I think we need to do what's best for our staff as well as ourselves. Uh, but I think it's also interesting, Ken, that you know, as we looked at what we started to do with James, I think it's become apparent to us that you know, again, with hindsight and look at what we've gone through, that it wasn't that the Lord was calling us to do the entire book of James; it was as if He was getting our attention to look at these first verses of James, maybe for ourselves and for our families and for the Coming Home Network, but for those of our friends that watch us here. Because you and I never expected that when we jumped into these verses, that what was going to come after it would be this coronavirus. Right. Yeah. Never entered our minds. Never entered like that. But I think because of that, when you and I first open James, well, you and I have studied it many times in the past when we were Protestant ministers. I don't think it hit me as much as this time when I opened it up and studied Counted All Joy, My Brethren, when you meet various trials. And when we first looked at that, it was before the coronavirus was even a blip on the screen. And then all of a sudden, we are now in a world that we never dreamed we'd be in a month ago two months ago. And so, if you will, it brings us right smacked to ask the question, okay, do we believe that Scripture is true? Do we believe that what James was saying is true? Is it crazy? But is it true? And so what I thought we'd do, oh, but before I move on, I do want to also share the other part with the audience that in us deciding that no, God wasn't calling us to focus on James, uh, Ken and I together, what became apparent for us is two things. I'm going to continue with deep in Scripture, doing the best I can uh, in the midst of this craziness. But out of this came the idea of, can you and Matt doing another program for the CH Network? So talk about that, if you would. Yes, we, um, well, you can talk about the connection to James, to James and what we are doing, but Yes, Matt and I, Matt Swaim, who is our manager of social media and whatnot, and I are starting a new podcast that's going to be a weekly show from the Coming Home Network, and the title of it is On the Journey with Matt and Ken. And basically, 
in a word, um, evangelism, um, apologetics, what we're going to be doing is within the context of our own stories as, as converts. Matt is a convert from the Methodist Wesleyan holiness tradition, and I'm a convert from the Reformed Calvinist Baptist tradition. Um, within the context of our stories, what we're going to do every week is, is we're going to take questions that, that, um, that Protestants and others have about Catholicism, and we're going to try and um, explain how we came to understand the, the, the answers to those questions on our way into the church. And then the flip side, we're also going to take challenges that the Catholic Church makes to our separated brethren and talk about that. So basically, within the context of our stories, um, we're going to be doing evangelism and apologetics, um, hoping to win people to um, you know, open their minds to the claims of the Catholic Church and help those who are on the journey already. That sounds exciting, Ken. I think it's going to be really neat. Yeah, it is. Part of our bigger goal, for those of you who are regular listeners, we hope soon, again, with all this craziness going on in our country, but we hope soon to have four regular podcasts uh, coming from the Coming Home Network. We'll continue with Deep in Scripture, in which basically we look at Scripture through the eyes of the church. Number two, uh, your new program, On the Journey. Mm -hmm. And then two other programs. I hope to start very soon a Deep in History program with Monsignor Steenson. We're going to yeah. take little short steps through Irenaeus' Against Heresy. And then fourthly, uh, my son John Mark will be hosting a program called Deep in Christ, and hopefully I'll join him at first. So we hope that comes And that'll up focus soon. on spiritually, uh, what prayer, Catholic spiritual teaching, yeah, uh, spiritual theology, yeah. Yeah, but it, from a Catholic perspective, what does it mean to be in Christ? Mm -hmm. um, and you know, you you and Matt, one from a Calvinist, one from a, a Wesleyan. Of course, I'm from a Calvinist Lutheran. You know, we had different ideas of what it meant to be mm -hmm. in Christ. So we'll be able to kind of pick that out a little bit in that program. So what I want to do in this program, and, and Ken, uh, we're not going to do this as a real deep exegetical study, but just kind of focus our thoughts on those first 12 verses of James. And ultimately, our question today is, how do these words written mm -hmm. 2,000 years ago apply to our time that we're going through right now. And those of you who've just tuned in for the first time, if you go to our website, you'll see that Ken and I already did a program on James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. And then we did a program on chapter 1, 5 through 8. Today, we're going to mainly focus on verses 9 through 11. But before we jump into that, Ken, let's just back up just briefly. Mm -hmm. And let's look at, first of all, verses 2 through 4, in which that's where James begin this section that says, count it all joy, my brethren, when you meet various trials. Basically, the point of that is that we are to accept trials as God's way of helping us grow in perfection. Mm -hmm. Now, my friend, from the time we studied that, given what we're through, any further reflections? Well, sure. I, you know, I, I, I'm thinking things right now that we didn't, that I didn't say at all when we were in the passage, but one thing I remember when I was a youth pastor and then when I was a senior pastor, the question always coming up about God's will for my life. How do I determine God's will for my life? And, and there were certain Christians who had the idea that God had a very, very specific will for you at each turn and that you had to figure out what it was. I mean, to the extent, 
you know, oh, I've, I've applied to these two colleges, you know, which one does the Lord want me to go to? And, and the idea was even floated that, you know, if I make a mistake, you know, like, you know, he wants me to go to college A and I end up choosing college B. Well, then I'm not, I'm, I'm no longer in God's perfect plan. I've, I've sidestepped. Now God will work it together for good, but I've sidestepped and now I'm on plan B. And then of course, since I went to the wrong college, I might meet the wrong girl. And then I might end up getting married to the wrong girl and I guess have the wrong children. And, and you can just keep going down this line. And I remember I always used to say, hey, look, if that's the way God works, I'm on plan triple Z, quadruple Z, and I will never be anywhere close to, to A. But my point in bringing that up is that when I look in Scripture, I, I, think of, I, I think it's in 1 Thessalonians, doesn't Paul say, this is the will of God for you, your sanctification, yep. that God's will for me and for you, for all of us listening, God's will is that we be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus. That's his will. Yep. And what James is saying here is, is so powerful because he's saying, he's saying, you need to understand that God uses trials to get you there. This is, you know, if you will, you know, uh, like gold is refined in the fire. We find that in First Peter, that, that image. Yeah. Or like steel is strengthened by going through intense heat. It's, uh, what's that word? What's the word you use to describe what they do with steel? Tempered, yeah. you know, they temper right. the steel and make it strong. Um, God uses trials to mold us into his image, to strengthen us in our faith. And so, if you really believe that, then, hey, bring it on. Count it all joy when you face trials. And as you mentioned, when we started teaching this, you know, we had no idea that within just a few short weeks, we'd all be locked into our homes and all these numbers would be coming it, out in the news every day. It, and it got harder and harder to, to say the words, count it all joy. And, you know, we, all the things going on, I mean, even before the coronavirus, we were seeing the scandal in the church and the economic crisis in our country and the craziness of our political system oh. and just all the stuff. I mean, that was enough. And then any of us had any personal issues. But then it's like as soon as we opened our mouth, it's like we gave the devil and his demons <laughs> an opportunity to just pile it on deeper and... and and uh, so it became more and more difficult yeah. to count it all joy. But but the point is, just as you're saying, Ken, as, as Paul said in Philippians, I've learned to be content mm -hmm. in any situation. Mm -hmm. That, you know, have no anxiety about everything, but everything in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. It's an attitude. It's not a feeling. It's an attitude mm -hmm. to recognize that truly... Is this of the will of God or not? Well, we know God's in it. We know God's in it. Mm -hmm. And he's not far from us. So because he's in it and because he wants nothing but our best, there's that absolute most powerful verse in Romans 8, 28 that I don't know if Paul actually wrote that or if he passed it on, but in all things, God is able to work good in all things for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. And so that's our attitude, to not get destroyed by the anxiety of this moment. It's there. You use the word sanctification in that verse. Here James uses the, for the word perfection, completeness. How? Because trials equip us to be strong, just like fasting on Friday strengthens our resolve so that 
in little things, we become strengthened for the big ones. Well, that's what this stuff is, is all about. Now, the problem is, uh, this doesn't necessarily make common intuitive sense to us. We'd rather run away from trials. Seems counterintuitive. And question, are all trials therefore to be assumed from God? Do I just accept abuse? Do I just accept everything? Or do some things I run away? So, so how do we know that? And that's the next section in verses 5 through 8 in which it's, asking God for the wisdom mm -hmm. to discern. Not all trials are equal. And so we need to accept and live this out. So again, I ask that same question to you, Ken, since the time we studied it to now. What about the wisdom, my friend? Well, when you said, <laughs> when you first said, how do we know, I thought you were going to ask me. And I was kind of getting nervous. I was thinking, wow, you know, I, I wasn't sure if I could answer very well. And I'm glad you went ahead with James' answer, you know, wisdom. Yeah, but because, yes, I mean, trials come to us. You know, we've all heard about the world, the flesh, and the yep. devil. Trials come to us in this fallen world from a number of, of uh, you know, sources. One of them being our own stupid choices that we can make can bring trials on us. Um, the flesh, you know, uh, the desires of the flesh. Uh, the devil out there prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And yeah, in the providence of God, God can bring tests too, just like he tested Abraham that time with with, I with Isaac. And it says God tested Abraham, you know. And yeah. So these trials can come from various areas, but the answer to what we need is always the same. And it's, it's wisdom, you know, that's what James is saying. James is saying, count it all joy when you face these trials, because this is how God perfects us. But, it, but understanding in the midst of these trials, we're going to need wisdom to know how to live appropriately, how to make the right decisions, how to do the right things in the trial to get through it. And we need, we need that wisdom from God. And, and uh, when you're facing a trial, a decision that isn't obviously easy, you know, if you're in an abusive mm -hmm. relationship, that should be a little more easy so you get out of there. You know, okay, but sometimes they're not as easy. And now in the midst of this craziness, coronavirus, do you stay isolated in your little cabin in the woods? Or what do you do? Who do you listen to? And I really believe that part of that wisdom is having our heart right. Having our heart right. Lord, I trust you. Mm -hmm. You know, Again, my favorite verse, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he'll direct your paths. I still believe that. So... You know, we have to make right decisions. You know, there's you, you and I remember that joke about the, the big storm comes in the flood and the guy's trapped on top of his house. Yeah, you know that yeah. story. And yeah. Lord, help me, save me. And then, you know, a boat comes by and come on, get in. And the guy says, no, 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 I'm waiting for God to save me. So he doesn't get in the boat and a tree limb comes by and he, no, no, I'm waiting for God to save me. And then a helicopter comes by and he says, no, 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 I'm waiting for God to save me. And then he dies and gets to heaven. And he says, God, why didn't you help me? And he says, I sent you a boat and I sent you a limb and I sent you a helicopter. You know, and it's interesting. I mean, here we are in this time and, and we have to trust people like our government and the, the medical mm -hmm. teams and and that our bishops are making the right decision. We have to do that. And we could be tempted to say, no, I'm going to do it my own way. And a part of that is, just, what's our heart like? Lord, I want to do what's right. I want to do what you're guiding me to do for my family, for my, myself, mm -hmm. for our apostolate. And, you, and I think if your heart's right, and I don't know how your, 
yeah, you're a Calvinist like me. I don't know how Matt's Wesleyan would take this, but I truly believe that if our heart is right, even if we make a wrong decision, God can bring it around. Sure, yes. If our heart's yeah, right. Yeah, and I, I, I remember that what James says there is to ask God for wisdom and to ask him trusting. To do it in faith, though, trusting that God will give us Not the wisdom that we need. Yeah. yeah. And then, then we do our best. We do our best to make decisions. You know, we ran into this just yesterday. We had a party with a few of the kids. Uh, it was one of my grandson's birthdays. And so just the family, we went over there together. Now, they've been completely isolating, and they've been clean for many days. We've been isolating, and we've been clean. But my son wanted to come, too. But he's coming from Los Angeles. And he's been around some different people. And so you know, just yesterday we faced it where he had to kind of figure out, should I come? Should I not come? And he decided not to come because he was afraid that yeah. he, he did, might be bringing something from another world into us. But these, you know, in our situation, these choices have to be made. I mean, crazy time. And, he, and, yeah. and it's also interesting that it, it affects us differently. Some of us are really extroverted and, and we're only charged up when we're with other people. And so this time of isolation is particularly different, uh, difficult on extroverted yeah. people. They don't know what, what to do when they're alone. On the other hand, it's guys like me that I'm more comfortable when I'm alone, you know? So I have to use wisdom to get myself out of my bedroom to go out and be with somebody. <laughs> so again, it's Lord, help us know ourselves and how we can mm -hmm. be channels of your love to other people in this difficult time. That brings us to the third issue, which is really what we're going to focus just our, our remaining minutes on. Verses 9 through 11. Okay. Verses 9 through 11. And if you got that in front of you, Ken, why don't you read those verses and then I'll... I'll well, I don't have it right in front well, of you. Well, then I do. Go ahead and read it. I yeah. do. I have it right in front of me. I have my own notes on it. I didn't have... I didn't okay. print out the passage. Okay. Here's what it says in the Revised Standard Version. Let the lowly brother... Boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like the flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls in its beauty perishes. So will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Now, before we jump into this, one of the things, Ken, you and I have tried to do from the beginning of this series is point out different ways of reading and interpreting Scripture within mm -hmm. the eyes of the church. And one of the most historic ways of understanding Scripture is that there are different layers, if you will. There's the literal, then there's a spiritual, the anagogic, and the different ways. It goes all the way back to mm -hmm. Origen mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. you know, Clement of Alexandria and some of the earliest writers, Augustine. And so a simple way of looking at that, whenever you open a Scripture— is to begin, well, what's it literal? What's the story? What's mm -hmm. the most obvious point being made here? And the truth is, that may be the most important thing, is that most literal. And then number two, take a step back and say, is there a, a, a deeper or is there a, mm -hmm. a more spiritual point being made here? And then the third is a bigger step back and say, okay, what does this say to me? And not just it was written 2,000 years ago and had a, made a good point, so how do I apply it today? But to understand it as if this letter was written to us now. And you could take a lot of examples of that, Ken. You could say, story of the prodigal son. You got the literal story, 
And then you take a step back, and then now you can see a variety of layers. Fatherhood, sonship, um, a number of things. And then the third step is, okay, what does that say to me today? And we could take a lot of scriptures, you know, that we could give any kinds of examples. The Beatitudes. Blessed is the poor of spirit. There, there's the kingdom of God. So you have the, the most literal understanding, the poor. And then the next step is, well, why did he say poor of spirit? So now we're at a mm -hmm. different level. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. thirdly, what does that say to me? So I'd like us to do that with these verses, Ken, that we just read. Sure. So okay. I'm going to throw it to you first. And uh, why don't you lead us through, if you will, the more literal, uh, you know, level mm -hmm. about in the context of what he was addressing. Okay, within the context of what he's talking about, count it all joy when you meet trials. And if you lack wisdom, ask God for the wisdom to help you walk through the trial. This is how God perfects us. I think that he's giving an illustration, finally, of the kind of, of a one of the one of the sorts of trials that his readers are dealing with um if we read the rest of james we find him coming back several times to this issue of the poor and the rich in chapter five james comes off the rails with come now you rich weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you <laughs> so he's got the rich and he's got the poor in his mind in chapter two of james he begins my brethren show no partiality um, as you hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man with gold rings and in fine clothing comes into your assembly, and then there are others that are poor, and you, you know, and he, he begins to address that. And in fact, he says to the rich here, listen, my beloved brethren, has not God chosen those who are poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? So one of the things that James has in his mind as he writes to these these yeah. Jewish Christians is this issue of the rich and the poor and how they treat one another. And I think that he's beginning his discussion of that in verse 9 when he says, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and let the rich in his humiliation. Yeah. And, and, and that he's basically saying here, this is on the literal le level, as you said, um, he's basically saying here, look, some of you are facing a trial of being poor in this life, but you can exalt in the... In, in, the in the high status that you have as members of his kingdom, which is just like what James says in chapter 2, where he says, don't you know that they have been selected to be heirs of the kingdom? So if you're poor in this world, think about what you have. You're a son, you're a daughter of God, you're a member of his kingdom, exalted, and I has not seen, nor has it entered into the heart of man, all that God has prepared for us, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians. Yeah. And... Um, yeah. And then he turns around and he says, basically, and if you're rich in this life, then you need to exalt in the humiliation that you have to undergo in Christ, because you cannot trust in your riches. Yeah. You cannot. Yeah. And so that's basically what I think he's talking and, about there. And Ken, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, to me, one of the unique things that James is doing in this letter, which I think applies so much to the work we do, mm -hmm. is that he's helping these former Jews bring together all that they've learned through their Old Testament background and even through the Psalms and then through the wisdom literature and Sirach and all that. That was their background. Mm -hmm. And how do they live this out as Christians? 
And our work, sometimes we're bringing non-Catholic Christians into the Catholic Church. And so what do you leave behind? How do you bring it together? How do you understand it through the eyes of being a Catholic Christian? And I think a little bit of that, just along with what you were saying, their culture was, the goal was, if you were poor, you had a one goal in life, become rich, right? If you were rich, yeah. You had one goal in life, get richer and make sure those poor don't take anything of yours. And Ken, you and I were talking earlier about the story of Jesus, about the rich guy that would made so much money, he just went out and built bigger barns. Well, that was it. And all through the Old Testament, Psalms, wisdom, literature, even in Leviticus, all those, it talks mm -hmm. about this battle between the rich and the poor. It's always mm -hmm. been there. So when, when our Lord drops the bombs of the Sermon on the Mount on them, you know, it's not about what you wear, what you eat, you know, uh, you know, God can make these flowers, you know, more mm -hmm. beautiful than Solomon, you know, the, and so how do you make this transition? Uh, and it was a battle, even in the earliest days of the church, right? In the book of Acts, there, how do you, what do we do? We got rich converts and poor converts. Do we share everything? Do we force people to give up their stuff? I mean, it was a, they had a problem. And it seems to me that, Ken, now we look at the spiritual level, which you were getting to, is that there's a deeper thing our lead, Lord was trying to tell people, that the goal in life isn't for the poor to become rich and the rich to get richer, because he's saying that the stuff doesn't matter at all. You know, the stuff of this world doesn't matter at all. There's a deeper level. And I think that's why I've, when I look at this verse, I was thinking he does something really unique, Ken. And I know you like this kind of word exegesis. And that's what really caught me in this is that when he says, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. What I, what jumped out at me when I was doing my exegesis is as unlike in the rest of James, he doesn't use the usual word for poor here. Hmm. He uses the word for lowly. Lowly. And it's an uncommon word, very uncommon in the New Testament. And it means humble circumstance. So it means humble circumstance. And the term that's translated exaltation means high circumstance. Mm -hmm. So I mean, behind it is not so much the stuff, but it's how we understand ourselves in Christ. That's a whole new radical change as Christians. Doesn't have, we, go ahead. Yeah, I'd like to throw something in there because what you're saying about these Jewish Christians coming to a new orientation, the way that God dealt with Israel in the Old Covenant, you know, the whole idea of typology, yeah. you know, the idea that God dealt with them in a literalistic kind of way to teach lessons that are fulfilled spiritually in the New Covenant. So he delivers the Israelites out of a literal slavery in Egypt. And he leads them across a literal wilderness, led by a literal pillar of fire and cloud, feeds them with literal manna from heaven, you know, and, and they enter into a literal promised land. And the promises that he made to them were kind of, had that literal side too. If you obey me, then your crops will do well. Yep. 
and your cows and you know they're they're not going to die and they're going to have a lot of children you know there was this physical blessing promise there although at the same time in the proverbs and the psalms everywhere you find the teaching though that ri the riches do not uh, cannot make us happy and cannot yeah. be what we really want in the end yeah. so that's taught that God will raise up the lowly and he'll bring down the exalted. But at the same time, they have this idea that if you're doing well and you're obedient to God, you're going to get rich, you know, and you're going to get blessings. And as you mentioned to me before the show here, that there are some Christian sects now, you know, non-Catholic non sects that that really jump up and down on this, you know, and, yeah. and the, the, their whole message is basically, if you trust in God, you're going to have a Cadillac, you know, and you're going to have a, a big house and a great job. And if you don't, it's a sign you're not trusting in God. But anyway, my point here is, is simply that they, they really are going through a transition because they have thought in terms of old covenant language. And then Jesus comes along and just turns that thing on its head. Yeah, yeah, right. When, when our Lord says, if the goal of a person who's poor is to get rich, and the goal of a rich person is to get richer, richer, yeah, yeah, that misses the fact that what Christ says is what's important is now, mm -hmm. not tomorrow. And so that's why he says in the Sermon on the Mount, have no anxiety about tomorrow. Tomorrow's got enough anxiety. Today. And so right today mm -hmm. in what I am, whether I'm poor or rich, exalt in who I am. And for to me, mm -hmm. the humiliation of the rich is cutting through how he understood who he was connected to all that stuff. That's not what makes him important. It's about being in Jesus. So in essence, he's got he's to set all that stuff aside and see himself paired away from all that. For the poor man, he doesn't have all that stuff, but he wanted mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. So he's called mm -hmm. to ex accept himself just as he is. You, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's a yeah. real yeah. deep yeah. call. And the rich man, to, you know, to, to accept what the Lord wants to make of him. You know, um, the story in the Gospels, the guy says, oh, I've got so much, I need to build another barn. And oh, oh my, it's that, that one's full and overflowing. I need a second barn. I need a third barn. And I realized there's an exact parallel to that in our world now. When I was growing up, when you were growing up, Marcus, how many people had storage units? <laughs> right. Yeah. No, 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 nobody did. Right. I mean, people typically had a little house and what they owned was in their house. And the very fact now that people... We buy so much stuff that it overflows, and oh, I need a storage bin. And so, like that guy, be like, I need a second one. I need a third. I, in fact, I think one of the hottest growing businesses in the world uh, the, these past twenty years have been storage facilities. I know, and it's to the point where you've got to have the kind. They have one. I forget what they're called, but they come over to your house and they fill it all. You fill it all up, and then they take it away and put it somewhere. So you could end up yeah. with not just one, but six, ten, fifteen stored somewhere and there you are yeah. you know and when i grew up in the neighborhood i grew up in the, the people next door had five children and they were deeply committed lutheran family their little house had no basement it had a kitchen a living room a little washroom a bathroom and three bedrooms so you put the boys in one and you put the girls in the other bedroom and that's three boys one for your two girls one bathroom yeah. A master bedroom for the husband and wife, yeah. a living room, a kitchen. They were happy as bugs and rugs. Mm -hmm. You know, today, 
We've changed. We, we have, we're like frogs in the pot. It's Our whole culture has changed, and we can't even imagine going back to that. But I think this verse really cuts into all those things our Lord said about being mm-hmm. being happy with less and, and not being attached to the stuff, not being not wanting more, being, being content. I In Sirach, I found the verse that says, The essentials for life are water and bread and clothing and a house to cover one's nakedness. Better is a life of a poor man under the shelter of his roof than sumptuous food in another man's house. Be content with little or much. Be content with little. Which is what Paul said in Philippians, right? And and then in another place, Paul says, you know, these light momentary afflictions are working for us an eternal weight of glory. Paul, St. Paul had that attitude. He, he, he lived with that attitude, didn't he? Yeah. I'm going to be content with what God has given me because my real treasure is in heaven. Jesus said, don't lay up on earth where moth corrupts and all that. And um, he, Paul had that clear. And this is what James is calling us to again, you know, joy in suffering, joy in the trials, because what God really wants in my life is to conform me to his image more than he wants me to have a what whatever. That's what he wants mainly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and when, when Paul wrote that, he had given up the opportunity to be maybe one of the most famous rabbis of Jerusalem. To, yeah, instead he gets beaten with rods and stoned and thrown out of buildings constantly. And when he wrote that, he was in chains mm-hmm. with no, 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 no idea whether he'd be out of those chains. So, mm-hmm. All right, in closing, Ken, okay. let's go to the third level. I'd like to ask you that. You know, all the stuff we said... Bring it up 2,000 years yeah. to today if he's writing today. What is he saying today in the midst of this perfect storm that we're in? Your thoughts? Well, I mean, you know, a, apart from the trials that we can all see, you know, you, you mentioned the, uh, the, the scandals in the church, which I won't go into, but right. that whole world. I mean, that was enough of a trial by itself. And now we've got this virus. People sick, people dying, hospitals worried that they won't have enough equipment. And then we have the the economic fallout of this, which many are saying, I mean, if this goes on, you, know, you, you just cannot shut down every business where people congregate for three, four, five, six months without us maybe being pushed into a global depression, not, 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 not simply recession. And... What was it, 10 million people applying for unemployment over the last two weeks? I don't know what the numbers are going to be like this week. But these are some of the obvious ones coming in from the outside. And then, of course, we have our own. We have our own personal trials that arise from ourselves sometimes, that arise from people around us, uh, that arise, you know, from other other locations. And it can be even the emotions of dealing with this... Mm-hmm. change in everything mm-hmm. you know i mean mm-hmm. uh, uh james says later he says in in chapters four he says come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and and, <laughs> and get gain you do not like what does he say you don't know what your life is right whereas you, you do are... not know about tomorrow what is your life for you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live, live. and we shall do, and do this or that. <laughs> I, I, I always laughed at that. If the Lord wills, we'll stay alive and do this or that, whatever. 
Yeah, you know, and then added to that too, I don't know about you, Marcus, okay, but I turned 66 in another few weeks. And the older you get to, the closer you are to the reality of dying. Yeah. And death becomes more and more concrete. It becomes something that you can see in front of you and you realize is coming. And so uh, what James is saying to me in the midst of all this is like, it's the virus, it's the economics, it's the stock market b being down 30% or whatever. It's, um, it's the trials in the church and all the problems that there are. And then I'm facing the grave, you know, coming at me, right. coming at me a little more clearly every single day that you have got to take upon yourself the mind of, uh, of Christ Jesus. Philippians 2, who humbled himself even to the point of death, trusting that God will exalt us and that life goes on forever in the, you know, in the kingdom of Christ. And you just got to, I have to develop this mindset more and more and more. I have to. Yeah. That's what it's saying. You look at the perfect storm now, and to a certain extent, I do agree that the poor are going to suffer in some ways more than the wealthy. Um, I don't want to get caught up in that debate about that, and you know, about, in other words, should the wealthy be distributing their money to, they should, you know, but. Yeah, but just factually, if this virus spreads through India or Africa and places where they, you know, many places where they don't have medical and whatnot, yeah, it's gonna, it's gonna hurt in a way that it doesn't hurt me sitting in my house working online. Whenever I hear somebody say, God, we had no idea this was coming. I wanna mm -hmm. say, you know, we should have. Because the more our world gets so interconnected with all the stuff the chance for something like this, we've known for a long, long time, it's rising. But are we ready? And what do we learn from the warnings? God has given us lots of warnings. We had a warning in, in 1929 about what can happen. Oh. We, we had a warning. We had a warning after World War II. We had a warning after the different wars. We had a warning in Y2K. We had a warning in lots of things. What do we learn from these? When this thing comes and goes, how will our lives be different? And, you know, the truth is this coronavirus hits the poor just as well as it hits the rich. Mm -hmm. It hits us all. And the bottom line is Jesus. It really is. You know, the bottom line, it, it, we cut through everything. Mm -hmm. Do we trust in our Lord? Do we trust in him? That's why, in, you know, in verse 12, James mm. brings us to a close. He says, Blessed is the man who endures trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. That's it, man. Love him. Do we love him? Mm -hmm. Do we love him? I love that, that verse in this Sermon on the Mount mm -hmm. where Jesus says, you know, not everybody that says, Lord, Lord is going to enter yeah. the kingdom. And he said, but I did all this mm -hmm. stuff. I had a TV show. I did radio and blah, blah, blah. And he says, but I didn't know you. Does he know us, my friend? And it's times like this where the trials mm -hmm. test our steadfastness. Do we get distracted by fear or do we trust in him? Amen. I don't even want to add anything to that. I mean, that's his message. That's great. And it's for us. All right, Ken. It's for me. Ken, this has been wonderful. You're going to be back in Demon Scripture with me again in the future, but we'll, we'll take different sure. angles. Uh, and uh, again, tell the audience real quickly about the new show just before we close. Oh, yeah. Matt Swaim and I are doing a show. It's, 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 the, the title of it is On the Journey. And 
let me explain that quickly. It's not just relating our journey, but it's it, it, it's about describing the journey that people go through. So it's on meaning about about the journey, about this journey from to the church. And what we're going to do in the show is within from the context of our own stories, our own personal stories, we're going to take on questions that people have about the Catholic faith, questions that Catholic, that the Catholic Church um, poses to non-Catholic Christians. And we're going to try and, and answer those questions and explain how we came on the journey to understanding those answers that eventually brought us into the Catholic Church. I mean, as you know, I was an ordained minister before, as you were, yep. and now I'm now I've been um, Catholic for I can't believe it, 23 years or so. <laughs> um, anyway, that's what the show is going to be about. So it'll be a great. I, I mean, we think it's a great opportunity to help others that are on the journey, and also to try and answer questions to those who are just sitting back and looking and um, and, and wondering what's this all about. So should be good. I, I look forward to it. Excited. It's going to be a good addition to the many other resources we also have. And let me remind the audience: if you go to chnetwork.org, you can check out all the great things we got. Videos like Ken's talking about, and old programs and resources. So, once again, thank you, Ken, for joining me on Deep in You're Scripture. And all the, good to be with you. And all the rest of you, thank you. Hope this program has been encouraging to you. Our player, let's keep each other in prayer in the midst of this very difficult time in which God is not far away. He's just a prayer away. God bless you all. See you soon. Deep in Scripture is a production of the Coming Home Network International. To hear more episodes, view our full archive of written and video conversion stories, participate in our online community forum, and more, visit chnetwork.org. You're also invited to explore free membership in the Coming Home Network and receive support on your own Catholic journey. Again, visit chnetwork.org for more information.